0: Latin American History Podcast. Episode 62. New World Objects of Knowledge. So apologies for disappearing for so long without any notice. Thank you to everyone who sent emails and messages asking when I'm going to return. It's really nice to know that so many people are enjoying the podcast and wanted it to come back. If you're not interested in hearing a brief explanation on what's going on and what the future of this podcast is, then skip ahead about a minute and you can get straight into the episode. In the last six months or so, I've had quite a lot of things going on. I've moved 250 miles. I'm now living in the relatively big city of Perth instead of in the tiny remote towns I've been in for the last three and a half years although I am still making regular trips out into the bush. Um, That's meant that I've been spending time trying to take advantage of all the things I can do here which weren't available before. And obviously this has taken up some of my time. Before I moved, I survived a cyclone which destroyed some nearby towns and left me without electricity for several days. I had actually planned to release something that week, but... Obviously, it was impossible. I think, though, that general pandemic fatigue has also had an impact. Latin America just seems so far away at the moment. Who knows when it will be safe to go there? And I'm living in the only country in the world which has actually banned people from leaving rather than just putting restrictions on entry. Even if, like me, you're not even a citizen. I think worry about friends and family back home, and knowing it will be at least another year until there's any chance of seeing them, has played a part in dampening my motivation to write 3,000 words and then spend an hour or two recording and editing episodes regularly. But anyway, that's enough moaning. I just wanted to give you an explanation, and let you know that I do plan to continue with this podcast, but right now I don't want to commit to a regular schedule for episodes in the near future. I'll try and get them out as often as I can. To make up for the long gap, I have two episodes for you. The next part of the conquest of Peru will be out in the coming days. But first, I have a special episode on a recently published book, New World Objects of Knowledge, A Cabinet of Curiosities. Each chapter of this book is written by a different academic. and looks at one specific item, resource or concept which had its origins in Latin America, and then discusses the impact it had on the world. Some of these things are well known, but their impacts are surprising and go further than you would think. Others are things you would never think of. One chapter, for example, looks at how a trend in Europe for black clothing had far-reaching and unexpected consequences for Latin America and the Caribbean. This episode consists of two talks about the book by its co editors, Mark Thurner, Professor of Latin American Studies at the University of London, and Juan Pimentel, Associate Professor of the History of Science at the Institute of History in Madrid. These talks were recorded as standalone podcasts by the editors, but they have kindly allowed me to republish them here. Juan's talk is in Spanish. So obviously, some of you might not be able to understand it. But for those who can, I think you'll enjoy it. I've put links to pages where you can find out more about the book, or even get it if you're interested, in the description of this episode. So here's Mark with the first
1: talk. So, uh, welcome to Objects of New World Knowledge. Um, uh, A cabinet of curiosities. uh, this book is uh, 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 co-edited by uh, Juan Pimentel of CSIC Madrid and myself, uh, Mark Turner of uh, the Institute of Latin American Studies in London. Um, it's the fruit of um, a three-year collaboration funded by the Liverpool Trust. Um, the collaboration is called LA Global. It's a, uh, as the name suggests, it's a global Uh, advanced uh, research network Um, and our aim is to um, further um, explore and disseminate and uh, essentially new world contributions to the uh, history of knowledge Uh, and in particular that part of the uh, new world which is today uh, generally referred to as Latin America. Uh, Right, so um, this is the first in a series of podcasts uh, really to um, sort of anticipate the launch of the book um, and also anticipate the launch of a virtual uh, website, a virtual cabinet, which will be um, based on a server um, in Quito at uh, Flaxo, um, and which will be a multilingual uh, cabinet um, interactive um, the goal of which is to disseminate um, uh, some of the findings of the network um, really globally, um, but in particular um, in Latin America. Um, so, so let me say a few things about, um, about our project um, and about the book particularly, and then um, a bit later uh, my co-editor and colleague Juan Pimentel uh, will be um, uh, Discuss uh, in a bit more detail um, a really uh, a stunning uh, a piece of um, a really a painted knowledge we could call it, um, which is El Cuadro del Perú, which was produced um, between Peru and Madrid uh, in the late um, in the late eighteenth century, and which really. Uh, um, uh, expresses really um, the um, preoccupations uh, and um, findings of the uh, hispano-peruvian enlightenment um, so 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 let me let me talk briefly then about um, sort of the project in the book um, really unlike um, uh, some of you might know Neil McGregor's best-selling history of the world in 100 objects right sort of began this trend in publishing books, um, sort of on objects. Um, Very much unlike his book, which is a, you know, bestseller, all based really on on pieces in the British Museum. Um, Our cabinet, which is, we're presenting here only 40 pieces, Uh, in the future we'll present many more. These 40 pieces cannot be found in a single museum or indeed in a single country. And the reasons for this are are several. Um, First, uh, really from the late um, uh, 15th century uh, down to our own day, um, the New World, and in particular that part of it uh, we we know today as Latin America, uh, has been uh, continually plundered and pilfered for its treasures and wonders. Uh, Not by one conqueror, empire, state, explorer, collector, or museum, but in fact by many. Um, And as a result, many of its natural and cultural productions are scattered around the world in private and public collections. Um, And in many cases, the uh, uh, actual provenance, that is the place where the object was produced, um, it's unknown. It's been lost. Um, secondly, um, you know the global nature of knowledge production since the 16th century um, has meant that everywhere objects of knowledge have been removed from their original sites, often not once, but twice or three times, four times uh, over the centuries. Um, And they've been displayed and stored and re-displayed and studied uh, over the centuries. And so as a result, um, uh, many of these artifacts or objects have several afterlives. Some of these afterlives are in fact global, as we're going to see uh, in this, um, in our cabinet. Um, And so... um, their histories and indeed their identities have been um, remade, uh, reprogrammed, if you will, re-read, um, and um, have taken on you know different kinds of um, completely unimaginable um, purposes than the ones uh, with which they were created or, or collected. Um, okay, and so right, uh, our particular uh, cabinet. Uh, We're presenting 40 pieces here now, 40 essays, really very short, punctual reflections on um, objects of knowledge of new world origin, um, is a a product of the LA Global Network, um, which includes um, uh, seven partners and um, the hub of which is um, at ELAS, at the School of Advanced Study at the University of London. Um, Right, so, um, our um, uh, cabinet in this case, um, we've decided to uh, actually uh, mimic a little bit the the structure of um, early modern cabinets, whether they were in um, Europe or uh, the Americas, and indeed there were many cabinets in the Americas, um, uh, since the 16th century, really, and and even uh, collections of of course uh, pre-Hispanic uh, in the pre-Hispanic past, uh, which we know about through um, early accounts and also through archaeology. Um, so, um, first of all, Europe doesn't have um, really a monopoly on on collections, or even, or even cabinets or the concept of cabinet. Um, and, um, but the, the, the larger um, uh, sort of insight that, that emerges from looking at new world objects of knowledge and their travel around the world is that indeed objects and knowledge have global lives. Um, we can't really assign them to one particular place necessarily but instead think about itineraries and moments uh, at, in which particular forms of knowledge are articulated around a constellation of objects in a particular place uh, through which a new object can, can pass, make an impact, resignify that collection of objects, move on to another collection, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, and, of course, one of, one of the best ways, really, I think, to, to, um, uh, to illustrate this um, is with this piece I mentioned earlier, El Cuadro del Perú uh, from 1799 um, is, the, is the date it was finished. Um, an image of this uh, should appear um, here in this presentation. Um, there's also a, a splendid version very high-resolution available on the Google Arts and Culture platform. Um, And we'll be uh, putting up the links to that um, in a moment. Um, uh, Juan is going to speak about this um, in more detail in a moment in Spanish. Um, uh, Just let me say a a few things about it um, first in in introductory uh, fashion. this, the the quadro uh, includes uh, hundreds of, of images plants animals people maps uh, uh, mining profiles um, uh, birds uh, fishes all of which represent uh, the um, the treasure as it were as it was called the time of the tesoro uh, the natural diversity we would say today and um, uh, cultural diversity of of Peru um, uh, as it was being um, understood and drawn and mapped and written in the late 18th century by uh, Peruvian and um, primarily Hispanic, although also French and German intellectuals uh, and Italian as well, um, all of whom were um, really uh, in many ways, uh, we could, we could think of them as being pre-national uh, and global subjects rather than thinking of them in those national terms. Um, and um, right, so so we have this 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 wonderful quadro, um, which um, uh, we can I think easily imagine today in in a post Google world. We can imagine all of these. Uh, 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 Animals, fishes, people—perhaps even stepping out of their frames, right—and uh, into our world. But right? we can animate them today, and indeed, we're doing that for our virtual cabinet. Um, but really, the question is, and what we want to do with this cabinet is—is trying to get you, uh, the viewer, the reader, um, the contemporary uh, spectator, as it were, um, to step into the cuadro. Um Shrink yourself, go back in time, go into the horizon, the world which is represented in this quadro through these different beings and and um, immerse yourself uh, in, in that kind of um, time travel, intellectual travel, um, uh, and see what sort of new horizons um, it can open up for you, questions, questions. Um, perhaps things that you hadn't uh, thought about before. Um, um, Why these particular animals? What are they up to? What is their connection to um, others, uh, to people? Um, What is their connection to um, global trade? Um, Why are they objects of scientific curiosity? Why are they served on people's tables? Um, Why are they used as um, essentially Um, a a flag, a map of the potential um, of uh, the Peruvian um, cornucopia, uh, which is indeed uh, what this is um, uh, in in every sense of the word. Um, This uh, quadro also uh, I must say is not just a a, a presentation of, of diversity, as we would say it today, but instead it is a polemical piece. It's an argument in a large debate um, which spanned the Atlantic world and beyond in the late 18th century, which is called, which has been called by Antonio, uh, excuse me, by um, Antonello Gerbi, as the dispute of the new world. Uh, this dispute was really over whether the um, the New World, as Buffon and other European intellectuals claimed, was younger and uh, as a result of this, uh, naturally inferior, more humid. It it produced a generation in animals um, and also in people and therefore um, was also, by the way, um, uh, not destined to um, rule itself, but instead to be a colonial appendage of small European um, uh, uh, monarchies with overseas empires. Um, uh, it is an argument against that, it is an argument really um, that uh, Peru is entirely uh, self-sufficient and universal, and this was actually a strong, uh, strongly, uh, widely felt um, uh, argument Uh, backed by statistical evidence and and, and collecting and so on um, by a number of Peruvian intellectuals and also Hispano-Peruvian or Italo Italo and Franco-Peruvian intellectuals, people who went back and forth and um, trafficked in in, uh, natural history and what we today would call uh, uh, anthropology uh, at the time. And um, so, so, so it's also that it's very much an argument for um, the, you might say, the natural sovereignty of Peru. Um, now, of course, note that this is being made in a in a quadro that is being presented to uh, the uh, Ministerio de Ultramar, that is the colonial, if you will, um, uh, ministry in Madrid. Uh, but it, there's a very um, interesting story there. It's it's being presented by um, a, our author, um, uh, Mr. LaGuanda, uh, who spent most of his life in Peru, uh, but who travels to Madrid uh, to present um, his essentially uh, credentials um, to attain the post of um, uh, it's what we could call the, the contador del reino, that is the accountant, the sort of the, 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 the lead statistician of the Peruvian Viceroyalty. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's sort of his calling card to the ministry, as it were, and, but it involves really behind it um, decades of the production of knowledge in Peru. Um, uh, much of which is being transmitted to Madrid, but also much of which is is staying in places like Trujillo, Lima, Cusco, Arequipa, etc. Um, So um, it's not only um, a beautiful uh, presentation of diversity, it's an argument. Um, for um, within uh, the um, Hispanic Empire for the essentially uh, economic, cultural and natural sovereignty of Peru and its promise really as um, a part of the uh, uh, worldwide uh, Hispanic Empire. Um, so, um, uh I'll now turn it over to, um, to Juan, who I think will be asking the question, really, what is this quadro? What, what makes it uh, uh, such a stunning uh, uh, statement, uh, and I think one of the most remarkable um, objects of uh, the global uh, enlightenment? So I'll turn it over now to Juan.
2: El cuadro de la Historia Natural del Perú es un óleo de de gran formato que se conserva en el Museo Nacional de Ciencias Naturales de Madrid. Fue realizado en esta ciudad a finales del siglo XVIII por encargo de José Ignacio Lecuanda, un funcionario colonial. Y lo realizó materialmente Luis Thibault, un pintor francés del que apenas sabemos nada. Bueno, el cuadro mide casi tres metros y medio de ancho, por algo más de uno de alto. Contiene un mosaico de 195 escenas con 381 figuras humanas y animales y un largo texto intercalado entre dichas escenas. Ahora bien, ¿qué tipo de obra es? Algunos podrían decir que es una colección de imágenes acompañada de paratextos, otros que se trata de lo contrario, un libro adornado, un libro profusamente ilustrado. Y tampoco faltará quien, pensando en el mapa del Perú situado en el centro, lo asocie a los mapas orlados. Esos mapas flamencos rodeados por representaciones de sus habitantes repartidos en cuadrículas en el perímetro. Las dudas sobre su naturaleza multiplican su interés. ¿Estamos ante una colección dentro de un gabinete? ¿Estamos por el contrario ante un gabinete portátil, un pequeño museo del Perú colonial que habita dentro de otro museo? ¿Es un mural, un museo, un mosaico? Bueno... De todo un poco, en realidad, toma prestados elementos de diferentes dispositivos visuales, pero no coincide con ninguno de ellos por completo. Y por eso parece justo decir que se trata de una pieza verdaderamente única. Tiene la condición de una joya o un tesoro, uno de esos que precisamente eh, tiene en su interior otro tesoro, un un tesoro natural. Desde la fabulosa cornucopia dorada El marco, el cuadro, es un himno a la diversidad y la abundancia de unas regiones que la geografía tolemaica creía desprovista de vida. ¿no? Las zonas tórridas, según los antiguos, ¿eh? no eran aptas para la vida. Un extremo que se encargaron de corregir José de Acosta y los primeros cronistas. ¿no? A pesar de los prejuicios de los antiguos y a pesar de quienes sostuvieron en la Ilustración todas las tesis sobre la debilidad o la inferioridad, de la naturaleza del nuevo mundo. El cuadro reivindica la abundancia y la proliferación de la vida en el Perú, su riqueza natural. Alrededor de las dos imágenes centrales, un mapa del Perú que hemos comentado y una vista de la mina de Huagayoc, se despliega una lógica concéntrica de celdas y de nichos desde el interior hacia afuera, hacia, hacia la bóveda celeste, desde las entrañas de la mina y los océanos, hacia la superficie. Así se suceden los peces y los anfibios, los cuadrúpedos menos desarrollados, luego los más corpulentos, los simios y finalmente los hombres. Esa cenefa dividida en dos secciones con 16 naciones civilizadas y 16 salvajes. Finalmente las, las aves ocupan el perímetro exterior. Las cuatro esquinas quedan reservadas para algunos reptiles e insectos, esos seres que ocuparon siempre un lugar inquietante en la gran cadena del ser. Así que el cuadro es un dispositivo que muestra de manera sinóptica y visual la biodiversidad, pero también de forma escrita y enciclopédica la historia del Perú y sus producciones. Intercaladas entre las imágenes, se despliegan las páginas de un largo texto escrito por José Ignacio Lecuanda, el autor intelectual de toda la obra. Este texto se titula Cuadro de Historia, Natural, civil y geográfica del Reino del Perú, año de 1799, de donde obtiene su nombre abreviado, nuestra pieza, el cuadro del Perú, o el cuadro de la historia natural del Perú. Es un escrito, es eh, es un texto vinculado a otros escritos eh, suyos anteriores, uno sobre el comercio en el Perú y otro un informe que hizo Lecuanda para el virrey Gil de Taboada y Lemos. Al igual que la iconografía, el texto resulta interesante por las noticias que ofrece de los distritos del norte, Trujillo, Cajamarca, Piura y la montaña real, es decir, la región amazónica, así como por la fusión que realiza entre el antiguo imperio inca y el español. Trenzar esta continuidad legitimaba el presente y glorificaba el pasado. Visto así, el cuadro está a mitad de camino, por decirlo de alguna manera, entre el inventario y la colección de imágenes, es decir, entre el quipu y el Instagram. Como el primero, como los quipus, la herramienta tradicional de los administradores del Imperio Inca, sirve como instrumento mnemotécnico para registrar hechos y datos. Y también, por otra parte, como el Instagram, pues viene a ser un espacio donde almacenar imágenes y compartirlas. Al fin y al cabo, Lecuanda también era un contable, un tesorero, alguien dedicado a inventariar los productos naturales, los recursos, pero también las rentas, las producciones. El carácter catastral del cuadro lo acerca no sólo a los quipus, sino también a la propia noción de cuadro, pero cuadro no como óleo, como lienzo, sino quizás en el sentido de tablón, en el sentido que le daba Foucault, un dispositivo para ordenar y clasificar el mundo, así como para visualizarlo y hacerlo aprensible. Esto, Esta noción de tablón nos hace pensar en obras clásicas de la Ilustración, nos hace pensar en Turgot o en Condorcet, donde la voz tabló aludía a la idea de compendio, de cuadro sinóptico. Así el cuadro filosófico del, del progreso, el tablo filosófico de progres el esquís de un tablo histórico, etc. ¿no? Y, por supuesto, nos hace pensar también en Humboldt, ¿no? en el cuadro físico de los Andes y de los países vecinos. La fabulosa Ilustración, que estaba incluida en su geografía de las plantas otro dispositivo visual y textual que mostraba la región andina como un verdadero hotspot de la biodiversidad del planeta como dirían hoy los biólogos y los estudiosos del medio ambiente
0: You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast written and recorded by Max Sargent For more information visit the website www.maxargent.com slash The History of Latin America. And that's spelled M A X S E R J E A N T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at History of Latin America podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for The Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at History Latin A M, and if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com/slash Max Photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X S-E-R-J E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening.
1: Save big on brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for 129 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $249 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon.